The drill gnaws into the ice, a metallic whine battling the roar of the Antarctic wind. It's my third season here, and the desolate beauty of this place still sends a sharp shiver through me. I'm no poet when it comes to the ice. I see it as a hostile force, a constant threat. There's a primal fear deep in most of us, a recognition that we're out of our element, always just one misstep away from the freezing abyss. The team is mostly men. That's not sexism, it's a matter of practicality. This is hard, gut-wrenching labour. If things go wrong, you need brute strength, the kind most women simply don't have. Our target lies hundreds of feet beneath the surface, locked in ice older than civilization. The geologists with their maps and sonar pings think it might be a meteorite, maybe a chunk carrying organic compounds, the kind that might have kick-started life on Earth. Me? I don't give a damn about theories. My job is to make sure these eggheads don't get themselves killed, and that involves a lot of boring safety checks. The winch cable creaks as Rafferty hauls the core sample up. There's a collective gasp. It's not grey rock, but something else. Something smooth. Dark and vaguely curved, it glistens with trapped meltwater. Careful now, I yell. It's instinct, not real concern. There's no way anything survived down there. Life finds a way, sure, but even bacteria needs a sliver of energy, and that ice hasn't seen light in millennia. We set the core down, wrapped tight in a sterile containment sleeve. Doc Evans immediately kneels beside it, eyes gleaming behind his fogged-up goggles. The old fart's probably dreaming about being the first in history to examine extraterrestrial life. Makes the endless grant proposals and frozen dinners worthwhile, I suppose. Can you get me a close-up on that? His voice crackles over the radio, thick with excitement. I push past the others, the camera lens zooming in as I crouch by his side. The detail that emerges sends a tremor down my spine. We're not looking at weathered rock or a hunk of some comet. It looks organic. A single, giant eye. The iris a disturbing, almost familiar blue stares out at us from its icy prison. Panic spreads in tight, choking waves. This ain't in any of the damn manuals. We're a geology crew, not some Area 51 conspiracy group. Rafferty stumbles back, nearly tripping over his own feet. What the hell? What the hell is that? He stammers. Doc Evans, though, he's frozen solid, not in fear. The guy's gone white hot with scientific mania. I know that look. He's not seeing a monster. He's seeing fame, a Nobel Prize, having his name in every history book that'll ever be written. We need to isolate it, I bark out, forcing myself past shock into action. Rule one in a crisis. Don't let people stand around gawking gets them thinking, gets them panicking. Evans, containment protocol now. Greer. I turn to the guy operating the winch. Reel this back down to the lab. Greer doesn't argue, which is a relief. He's a steady one. Still, his face has gone a shade too pale. Evans finally blinks. No, we can't risk refreezing. Specimen integrity. His protests are drowned out by the drill suddenly revving into a tortured shriek. The winch cable jolts, then snaps taut. Something beneath the ice twitches. Not the gradual thawing we expected, but a violent jerk. The core sample lurches, the ice around the eye cracking. Get back! 
I shove Evans aside as a sliver of blue iris splits open, liquid welling up. Not water. Some other fluid, impossibly dark, pooling in the fissures. Then comes the sound, a wet, tearing squelch that seems to come from the ice itself. It resonates in the sudden, horrified silence of our team. The eye isn't just an eye. A slit-like pupil contracts, focusing on us. Even through the thick containment sleeve and fracturing ice, I feel the weight of its gaze. It's intelligent, appraising. My skin crawls. This isn't the blind instinct of a trapped animal. It's the deliberate attention of a predator sizing up its prey. My hand reflexively goes to my sidearm. The damn thing is useless. What are you gonna do? Shoot a creature frozen since the dawn of man. Yet the cold steel against my palm is somehow reassuring. It's a gesture of defiance, a reminder that I'm the one with the tools, with the brain, with thousands of years of human evolution at my back. The eye widens and the real horror begins. It's not the eye that shatters my carefully enforced calm, not the impossible sense of being hunted from inside the ice. It's the shape that takes its place. A single impossibly long finger presses against the containment sleeve, tracing the curve of the severed cable. It bends at unnatural angles, the joints shifting like a broken machine. The skin looks both chitinous and fleshy, mottled in shades of grey that glow weakly like a dying bruise. The nail, if that's what the razor-sharp claw at its tip truly is, splits open. A second finger pushes through, then a third. This thing is tearing its way free, adapting to the confines of our containment with horrific speed. My training kicks in. My voice booms across the terrified silence. Fire! Get the flamethrowers! Frantic shouts follow my orders, then the roar and whoosh of fuel igniting. I raise my own weapon, targeting the creature's emerging hand. The bullets ricochet uselessly off the hardened shell. I knew it. Yet the reality of it still hits me like a gut punch. Our tools are meaningless. The ice around the creature now fractures wildly, fluid spurting with every movement. It's a hideous birth, accompanied by screeches and guttural clicks that make me want to retch. The form that forces its way free is impossibly long, impossibly thin. It reminds me of a spider, if spiders were the size of trucks and made of something that defies classification. Evans screams, his scientist's detachment finally gone. He's fallen back behind me, fumbling for his own sidearm. Rafferty and Greer open fire. Twin streams of blue-white flame engulf the creature, yet the screeches don't falter. It jerks and twists, the flames licking at its segmented body. But it doesn't truly burn. It learns, coils away from the worst of the heat, eyes glinting with something beyond animal fury. There's too much of it. The core is too long, the shape keeps unfolding. One of the long, whip-like legs lashes out, shattering Greer's flamethrower and sending him sprawling. Before I can even shout a warning, another leg darts forward, impaling him. Greer jerks, his scream cut short as he's lifted impossibly high. He vanishes into a thrashing tangle of limbs and then... Nothing but a spray of blood on the ice. Fall back! The command tears from my throat, 
It's not calculated. It's pure survival instinct. We can't fight this alone. We need McMurdo, need backup, need weapons meant to kill things bigger than a man. We turn, a desperate, scrambling retreat towards the tracked vehicles. I see Evans stumble, his eyes wide with terror, but there's no time. I reach them first, yanking open the heavy hatch, scrambling inside. The engine roars to life. One last glance over my shoulder. The creature unfolds fully onto the ice now, a nightmarish behemoth under the unforgiving Antarctic sky, and it's looking straight at me. I don't wait for the others, just slam the tracked vehicle into reverse and gun the engine. The creature is shockingly fast, its spindly legs scrambling across the ice in great, lunging strides. Each thud shakes the vehicle to its core. There's swearing and shouts on the radio, but I ignore them. My orders meant nothing. It's pure chaos out there. I catch a glimpse of Rafferty getting mowed down. Then there's just the frantic bouncing of the vehicle and screams fading in the distance. The only thought in my head is McMurdo. We have to reach McMurdo. It's a hundred kilometers across treacherous terrain, and I've got no illusions we'll survive the trip, but it's the only goddamn chance. The radio crackles. Evan's voice cuts through the static, choked with panic and something else. Or? Stop! You have to see this! Shut up, Evans! I roar back. We need to get the hell- He cuts me off louder. It's stopped! It's not chasing us! I slow the vehicle, every instinct screaming against it. But he's right. Behind us, the creature isn't advancing. It looms on the horizon, an unnatural silhouette against the fading sunlight. But it's just... standing there, observing. Evans keeps on talking, his voice a frantic, disbelieving whisper. It... it's changing, morphing. But that shouldn't be possible. The tissue integrity, the cellular... His scientific ramblings fade as I reach for the binoculars mounted near the dashboard, dread coiling in my gut. The shape is indeed shifting, the long, spider-like form shrinking in on itself. The limbs seem to dissolve, reshape, the dark, bruised flesh twisting and rearranging. In minutes it's no longer a monstrosity, but something horrifyingly recognisable, a hunched, vaguely humanoid form. Sweet Jesus, I breathe, the words a curse rather than a prayer. I don't know which is worse, the monstrous alien or this twisted mockery of ourselves. The creature, no, the thing, lifts its head. Where the monstrous eye had been, there's now something like a human face, contorted, unfinished. Skin puckers and splits, revealing glimpses of an eye too big, too blue. A parody of a mouth stretches wide, then narrows the lipless edges twitching in a macabre attempt at a smile. It raises a single clawed hand, waves. Panic is a fire now, burning away the last vestiges of shock. This isn't communication, it's a taunt, the act of a hunter who knows it can crush its prey at leisure. I ram the vehicle into gear. We go, now! The thing on the ice doesn't move to stop us. It just watches its chilling smile etched against the crimson of the approaching Antarctic night. The drive to McMurdo is a nightmare of ice and desperation. I push the tracked vehicle to its limits, the engine whining in protest. Every jolt, every crack in the landscape makes me flinch, expecting the creature to emerge from the blinding white wilderness. Evans hasn't said anything in hours. He curls into a ball in the passenger seat, 
muttering to himself in a low, broken voice. Every now and then his old self surfaces, a scientific observation, the start of some wild theory, but it always devolves back into the same horrified murmur. This can't be happening! This can't be happening! The silence is almost worse than his ramblings. Out there the creature is adapting, learning, who knows what it's becoming in the frozen isolation. McMurdo Base finally appears on the horizon, a cluster of utilitarian structures, an outpost of supposed safety in the unending ice waste, and right now it looks as fragile as a child's sandcastle. I radio ahead, my voice shaking, despite my efforts to mask it. The initial response is disbelief, then a scramble of panicked instructions, garbled orders, and too many questions I don't have answers to. As we pull into the compound, an uneasy silence descends upon the usually bustling base. People stare as we emerge from the vehicle, their faces pale. There's an armed escort waiting. Not the welcoming committee I'd hoped for, but at least it means they believe me. We're herded into the central ops building and locked in a hastily cleared conference room. The commander, a no-nonsense woman named Stone with the grim demeanour of someone used to hardship, listens to my report in stony silence. Evans keeps interrupting, babbling about cellular adaptation and evolutionary leaps, but she cuts him off with a curt, We'll deal with the science later. Right now, I need a threat assessment, soldier. And that's the crux of it. That's the question I've been circling like a vulture since we drove away from that thing. I think back to the raw intelligence in the creature's eye, the way it dissected our containment, used our own weapons against us. I think of the brutal mockery of the wave. Mom, my voice is hoarse. We're not just dealing with an animal. We brought back something that thinks, it learns, and I damn well think it hates us. Stone's expression doesn't change, but something shifts behind her eyes. It's the look of a commander facing an enemy whose power she can't gauge. It's a desperate sort of fear, the kind far more dangerous than the blind panic of the men back at the ice. McMurdo transforms with alarming speed. The easy camaraderie of the research base evaporates, replaced by a tense, battle-ready atmosphere. Scientists argue with military tacticians. Orders are barked, plans drawn up and discarded with dizzying frequency. There are hushed conversations in corners, and a bleakness in the eyes of the people I used to grab a beer with just a few days ago. While everyone else scrambles, I'm given a different type of duty. Interrogation. They want every detail, every second of what happened out at the dig site. I describe the creature, the impossible way it tore itself free, the learning curve evident in each movement. Most importantly, I tell them about the wave, the mockery, the lead scientist on the interrogation team, a twitchy woman named Dr. Ellis, has gone very still. You're certain it meant communication? Not like talking, I clarify, pushing aside the offered meal, too nauseous to eat. But it saw us as different, it knew we were the ones who brought it back and… and… The smile, that hideous imitation of our own expression, flashes before my eyes. It enjoyed what it did to us. Ellis nods taking frantic notes. Mimicry, not just at a cellular level. Behavioural mimicry, a survival tactic, 
I don't have an answer for her. None of it makes sense. Mimicry, according to some half-remembered nature documentary, is used to blend in, to avoid predators. This thing learned from us, killed us, and then celebrated the act by pretending to be us. Commander Stone bursts into the room, a grim satisfaction hardening her features. Confirmation came in. Satellite recon spotted it. Damn things fast, but it's heading this way. We estimate it hitting the perimeter within 48 hours. Everyone in the room goes silent. 48 hours. That's all the time the greatest minds, the most powerful military on this planet, have to prepare for an enemy they don't even begin to comprehend. We have to strike first, a man in military uniform asserts, his voice tight. Bombardment? Drones? If we contain it close enough to the coast, maybe the Navy can... And if we fail, Stone cuts him off. If this thing is as adaptable as you say, what's to stop it from learning from our weapons, turning them on us? It's Evans, of all people, who speaks up, his voice raspy but surprisingly clear. The ice. It was in the ice, frozen for millennia. Heat disrupted it. We need the opposite. We turn to him. The man who'd broken down just hours ago is now staring at us with manic intensity. The pieces click with sickening clarity. He doesn't have a military solution, but a horrifyingly scientific one. We need to freeze it again, Evans declares. Force its system into shutdown. And this time, we don't bring it back. McMurdo Base becomes a hive of desperate, macabre activity. We can't win with conventional warfare, that much we all understand. Our only hope is to make this an alien battlefield to turn our own lethal environment itself into a weapon. The plan Evans and the other scientists hastily cobble together is a brutal testament to human adaptability. Liquid nitrogen becomes our ammunition. Industrial cooling units meant for preserving specimens get repurposed into mobile freezing cannons. Wind tunnels and emergency shelters, anything that can be modified to blast sub-zero temperatures, becomes part of our desperate arsenal. They put me back in charge. Not for my expertise in combat, I've got none, but for what I saw out there on the ice. They need the creature to behave predictably, to lure it into a kill zone where we can overwhelm it with cold. And who better to be the bait than the one it already marked? They dress me in thermal gear that feels like a ton of lead, monitor strapped to my wrist feeding my vitals back to the op center. Stone walks me to the tracked vehicle I used for my escape, now outfitted with a monstrous tank on its rear. Just like old times. I try for a bitter joke, but it falls flat. Commander Stone gives the barest hint of a nod. We won't let you go out there alone, she says, but the first wave hits, you retreat. This thing, she doesn't need to name it, it'll fixate on you. Then, just as I'm about to climb in, Stone does something that surprises me. She pulls a heavy standard-issue pistol from her belt and presses it into my numb fingers. Just in case, she says gruffly, then turns and walks away. I drive out through the reinforced gates onto the vast, flat expanse of white, the vehicle crawling at an agonizingly slow pace. The wind whips at my exposed skin, pain slicing through my layers of protection. My hands are shaking inside my gloves, whether from cold or terror, I couldn't say. 
Over the radio comes Evan's strained voice. It's detected the change in temperature. It's moving towards you. Just ahead, a smear of unnatural darkness mars the pristine white of the ice. I know what waits on the other side, yet when the creature bursts into view, my heart still seizes in my chest. It no longer shambles in its original monstrous shape or in the horrifying human mockery. Now, it's something low and sleek, segmented limbs churning as it propels itself across the ice with breathtaking speed. I reverse, drawing it out. In my rear view, I can make out the faint outlines of our hastily made defense line. Tanks, armored vehicles, scientists manning the monstrous freezing cannons, all arranged with the ruthless calculations of a battlefield. My mouth is dry as I speak into the mic. It sees me! It's coming! The creature streaks faster, the ice cracking beneath it. Its form shifts again mid-run, the segmented body folding in on itself, growing bulkier, taller. Whatever shape it chooses, its central focus, that disturbing single eye, remains trained on me. The first wave of armed vehicles engages just as I reach our planned perimeter. Tracer fire streaks across the landscape, bullets pinging uselessly off the creature's armor. One lucky strike dislodges a limb, but the wound doesn't slow it down. Instead, the lost limb twitches on the ice, reshaping even as we watch, and transforms into a smaller, scuttling beast, now joining the chase. Pull back! I shout into the mic, and with practiced maneuvers, the first line retreats behind the waiting coolant cannons. Then it's my turn. Fear spikes through me, but I clench my jaw, slam the vehicle into gear, and drive hellbent towards the bunker where a team led by Evans waits with the largest freezing unit. As I draw closer, the creature's form dissolves yet again, becoming an airborne monstrosity, tattered flaps of skin catching the wind as it launches itself into the sky. My heart hammers in my chest. This wasn't part of the plan. It's too fast, too damn adaptable. Just as I fear I've miscalculated, the creature emits a piercing shriek and banks sharply away. Then I see it, a blast of white smoke from the base as Evan's team forces the freezing cannon to overload. A wave of sub-zero air washes over the creature, momentarily engulfing it in swirling mist. It falters, lets out another screech, but it powers through. For a precious moment, there's an opening. I drive past Evans, practically scraping by his position. We lock eyes briefly, both seeing the same desperation and the same terrible determination. I hit the ice, the vehicle groaning as I slam through the designated weak point. The ice cracks, then shatters. Seawater rushes in, dark and frigid, almost black against the blinding white landscape. The creature so focused on me doesn't see the trap until it's too late. I barely manage to scramble from the sinking vehicle before it plunges into the black depths of the frigid water. The monstrous flying form circles overhead, its shrieks piercing the desolate landscape, but the creature seems disoriented. Evans and his team don't hesitate. They turn the full force of the overloaded freezing cannons onto the exposed water. The effect is instantaneous. The temperature plummets, not with the gradual spread of encroaching ice, but with a terrifying suddenness that turns the sea itself into a weapon. The creature dips too low, perhaps trying to locate me. 
and with a wet crackle, its tattered wings freeze solid. It shrieks again, a sound of pure, unfiltered rage, and the monstrous shape slams into the water. The ocean hisses and churns as it flash freezes around the creature, trapping it in a glassy tomb. I stagger forward with the others, unable to look away. The dark silhouette is visible within the ice, contorting as it struggles against its unyielding prison. Then, with a series of sharp cracks, the ice block splits open, the creature bursting out in a shower of glittering shards. But what emerges is no longer the sleek hunter, nor the flying terror. The freezing temperatures have shattered its adaptive ability, and the creature now flails in a tangle of mismatched limbs and unfinished transformations. This time, the gunfire rings out with purpose. Each shot lands true, riddling the body with holes. It's not a clean kill. The creature keeps spasming, the misshapen eye twitching as the last signs of that chilling intelligence fade away. Finally, it lies still in the pool of its own glistening, unnatural fluids, as broken as the ice around it. We stand in heavy silence. There's no cheering, no relief, just the bone-deep cold of the Antarctic and of the awful thing we've just done. I look at the remaining men. We're not soldiers, we're technicians, geologists, scientists, yet we've become killers. Secure it. Commander Stone's voice crackles on the radio, cutting into our grim reverie. Retrieve the remains. We need to know what the hell we were dealing with. Evans doesn't move. He stares at the creature's corpse, and I see his body tremble. His breakdown a few days ago wasn't weakness. It was the horror of understanding. This is a victory, yes, but a fleeting one. There could be more of these creatures out there, lying dormant in the permafrost, waiting. The ice was their prison. And we've taught ourselves, perhaps all of humanity, how to open the locks. I turn away from the carnage, from Evan's bleak despair, and walk towards the base. I let the others take care of the body. There are reports to write, protocols to establish, a world to brace for whatever might be thawing from the frozen depths. My work here is far from over. Months pass in a rush of classified reports, tense meetings with government agencies, and the constant gnawing anxiety that hangs heavy in the air of McMurdo Base. I've become a reluctant expert, the voice in the room when talk turns to the creature, to the risk of further incursions. Military contractors buzz around me, picking my brain for strategies, while Evans locks himself in the lab, dissecting fragments of what we brought back. On the surface, life goes on. Researchers grumble about restricted zones, the cafeterias still full and raucous at dinner. Yet there's a change, a shift in the rhythm of the place. People flinch at sudden noises. We watch the vast white expanse outside the windows with a new weariness, as if expecting something to break through. One day, I'm summoned back to Ops, the same room where I recounted the horror of first contact. Commander Stone's waiting, but she's not alone. A man in an ill-fitting suit and an overly cheerful demeanor sits beside her, flashing me a disarming smile. Ah, our expert, the man says, extending a manicured hand. James Langley, Department of Planetary Security. I don't bother shaking it. What do you want? 
Well, quite a bit, Langley chuckles, pulling out a thick file. We analysed your plan, your tactics. Remarkable adaptability under pressure. Of course, the results were suboptimal. He waves a hand dismissively at the mention of the creature's death. But, as a proof of concept, quite impressive. Get to the point, I growl, ignoring Stone's warning frown. Langley leans forward, his smile taking on a predatory edge. We want to replicate your success, only this time, let's do it right. Weaponize your little ice trick. Scale it up for deployment anywhere on the planet, should the need arise again. I stare at him, barely containing my disgust. So you want to hunt for these things, bring them all up? Don't be absurd, Langley says, though his smile doesn't reach his eyes. We hunt to control, to understand the threat, to protect. Commander Stone speaks up, her voice clipped and cold. It's about securing a first strike advantage. We can't wait for another creature to stumble onto a research site. The room falls into an angry silence. I understand the logic, a twisted, brutal sort of logic, but it turns my stomach. They want me to help them become the very thing the creature was, a hunter evolving to seek out and destroy its prey. Evans appears in the doorway, drawn and pale as always these days. He's clutching a file, eyes darting between me and Langley. We've analysed the fragments, he says, his voice barely above a whisper. It's not a natural organism. It's cellular structure. Someone built it. It's a weapon. Langley practically vibrates in his seat. You see? That changes everything. There could be more. A whole arsenal. We have to... I shut him out. If this thing was designed, then there's a designer. And if there's one of these horrors out there, there could be countless more. My fingers clench into fists. The ice isn't some prison. It's a shield, and we've been hammering away at it. I turn my back on them, on Langley's hungry ambition and Stone's grim pragmatism. I walk out of the room and head down the stark, sterile corridor the weight of what we've begun pressing down on me. They want a soldier, they want a scientist. But what the world needs right now, more than anything, is someone to stand at the edge of the ice and look out at the encroaching darkness. Someone to watch and wait. And that, for better or for worse, is going to be me. The years turn into an uneasy peace. McMurdo Base becomes my permanent, unwelcome home. The funding flows in, transforming the research station into some disturbing hybrid of frontier, outpost and military bunker. Langley and his kind flit in and out, demanding updates, pushing for faster results on the weaponized cryotechnology while throwing around terms like preemptive strikes and containment protocols. Evans is holed up in his lab, a ghost of the man I once knew. The cheer is gone, replaced with a frantic energy that speaks to his haunted obsession. Sometimes, late at night, I hear the murmur of his voice filtering through the thin walls, a maddened litany of genetic code sequences and muttered theories about artificial evolution. I take on the role they didn't know they needed, the Watchman. It's a self-appointed duty, born out of guilt and a restless sense of responsibility. When I'm not being grilled by committees or overseeing training drills for the now heavily armed personnel, 
I patrol the vast expanse of the ice. Snowmobiles replace tracked vehicles, better suited to the long, lonely journeys. I've established a network of caches, hidden supply dumps and emergency shelters along concentric routes that spiral out from McMurdo. My official excuse is to chart changes in the ice shelf, but the true purpose is grimmer, early detection. The first few years, it's just ice, the endless white broken only by the harsh beauty of wind-carved formations and the mournful cries of penguins. Then something changes, not in the ice, but in me. The isolation I once dreaded becomes a strange comfort. The silence and the relentless cold feel less like a threat and more like a reflection of my own grim vigilance. I become as much a feature of this bleak landscape as the ice formations themselves. One day on a patrol further out than I've dared venture before, I see it. Not the monstrous shapes born of my nightmares, but something subtler, though no less chilling. A disturbance in the ice. A thin crack snaking out across the pristine surface, where none should be. At first I convince myself it's the stress, the endless strain of watchful waiting playing tricks with my eyes. Yet, when I return a week later with a drone, the crack is wider. Hairline fractures branch out from it, a spiderweb of unnatural warmth marring the perfect expanse. I circle with the drone, sending the feed back to a now-terrified Evans and the scrambling military back at the base. There's something beneath the surface, something that throbs and strains against its icy prison. This time, the heat isn't coming from us, it's coming from the depths. Back in my cramped room in McMurdo, I replay the footage. We were wrong, horribly, disastrously wrong. These aren't isolated events, the anomalies we hunted for. It's more systemic. The planet itself might be riddled with these dormant monstrosities. The ice thaws. It always thaws. And when it does, they'll wake. I add a new item to the supply caches that dot my patrol routes. High-yield explosives. Langley and his ambitions, Stone with her cold calculus, they were playing a game they didn't understand. There's no outsmarting this enemy, no weapon to craft against it, only desperate choice. I will be the one that decides when the ice melts. If sacrifice is the only thing left, then let it be mine. News of the thawing spreads like a virus. The carefully crafted press releases meant to soothe global panic fall apart in the face of the inevitable. Satellite imagery circulates. Vast patches of pristine ice rippling with heat. Entire ice shelves cracking and splintering as something colossal stirs in the depths below. McMurdo descends into a controlled sort of chaos. Langley and his people disappear, flown out in the last wave of military evacuations, their dreams of planetary defense collapsing into frightened self-preservation. Stone stays, her jaw set in grim determination. There's a glimmer of respect for her in my eyes now, respect for a commander who'll go down with her ship. Evans, on the other hand, unravels completely. The discovery that the creatures were bioengineered, twisted creations rather than an alien invasion, destroys the last shards of his sanity. The lab becomes a madhouse of panicked scribbling, calculations spiralling down blackboards and desperate, ranting monologues. 
One morning they find him slumped against his desk, the light gone from his eyes. A self-administered overdose, a quiet escape from a world he could no longer comprehend. McMurdo empties. Those who can flee do. Only the diehards, the ones with an unshakable belief in a technological solution, remain. I watch them from the edge of the ice, the fools clinging to their precious machines while the world itself shifts around them. It reminds me of my own arrogance back at the field camp, thinking gunfire and flamethrowers could stop what we'd unleashed. Survival now comes down to the brutal basics, shelter, food, the will to endure. I've salvaged what I could from the emptying base, tools, cold weather gear, the explosives, and secreted them away in my most distant caches. It's my final act for a world I helped doom, giving them a fighting chance no matter how slim. The days bleed into a twilight existence, the rhythm of my patrols my only anchor. The sun dips lower in the sky, a pale, weak thing compared to the brilliance of the ice. There are tremors, a growing unease beneath the frozen surface. I know my time is running out. One night, I wake to a sound of monstrous groaning. Not the distant rumblings I've become accustomed to, but something horribly closer. I stumble from my tent, heart thundering in my chest. The ice sheet in front of me is bulging, rising, the cracks in the surface spitting plumes of mist into the frigid air. This is it, the end game. I don't run. Instead, I find the cache, the box with the detonator gripped tight in my numb fingers. The creature bursts through the frozen surface, not with the clean emergence of the first, but in a violent explosion of ice and dark, glowing flesh. It's larger than any we'd imagined. A writhing mass of segmented limbs and glinting, multifaceted eyes that glitter in the endless twilight. It doesn't pause, doesn't examine its new world. It lunges towards the faint heartbeat of the abandoned McMurdo base with an instinctual hunger. I key the detonator. The explosives I planted form a ring around this monstrous birthplace. Fire blooms, white hot against the dying light, engulfing both me and the creature in a cleansing blaze. The shockwave hits me with the force of a hurricane. Even as the ice beneath my feet shatters, plunging me into the frigid depths. But in the final seconds, through the smoke and the roaring in my ears, I see a different kind of light. The creature, caught in the heart of the inferno, doesn't rage or adapt. It simply burns. My last thought, as the black water closes over me, is a twisted, bitter kind of victory. The ice may have been our doom, the spark that woke the monsters, but fire the first and most primal of human tools that may still be our salvation.